Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, listeners. We have a great show for you today. It's July 24th, 2013. I can't believe how quickly the year is going. I'm always interested in how people achieve what they do and the path that led them there. Dr. Toogood is joining us today. He is the author of numerous books, but today we'll be discussing How to Rid Your Body of Pain. He currently practices in Apple Valley, California. To give um, my listeners a little background on Dr. Toogood, he graduated from the University of California at Santa Barbara with a degree in physical education and then graduated from Cleveland Chiropractic College in Los Angeles. He opened his own private practice in 1985. Welcome, Dr. Toogood. It's so wonderful to have you on our show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. To begin our show, uh, I would like you to tell us what led you on the path to chiropractic medicine. Okay, I was uh, I graduated from college many years ago with physical education degree, and um, uh, I wanted to go into physical therapy, but changed paths and got into um, wholesale grocery warehousing, believe it or not. And then I decided oh. to get back into health care. Uh, so I was dating a girl who was going to the chiropractor, and she said, why don't you be a chiropractor? And so I checked it out, and sure enough, I had all the prerequisites. So I went ahead to chiropractic school, and I was taught um, what basically chiropractors are taught. And like any other profession, you learn what you learn in school, and then when you get into practice, you learn usually something else. And that's been my experience, and so that's why I've written books. You know, the only reason I wrote books, when I first started seeing what I was seeing about chronic pain, about what causes chronic pain and how to get rid of it, uh, I found out that um, in my practice that, that it wasn't what I thought it was. You know, chiropractic care is aligning the spine, correcting subluxations, and returning people to health, which is a great profession, and I still use chiropractic care. But I found out that there were other explanations for chronic pain, that is, uh, cases of pain that did not respond to conventional medicine or to chiropractic care. And, you know, if I kept doing the same thing over and over again, these patients would be coming in forever, which is great financially, but uh, really not getting anywhere. So I, uh, my discoveries that I made about chronic pain and what caused them, I actually stole from a patient many years ago. Uh, a patient came in and told me a story I didn't believe in 1985. 
about what caused his chronic pain. I didn't believe him, but I started playing around with what he told me, and sure enough, it was true. I started going through the literature, and I couldn't find anybody who was saying the same thing. So I said, I guess I'm going to have to write this down, and so I started writing books about it back in 1991. The newest book is out now. It's called Chronic Pain Gone 90 Days, and I tried to make the book simple to read, and the title kind of tells it all. It sounds like an oxymoron because chronic pain, by definition, doesn't go away. But according to the title of my book, it can go away within 90 days, and it usually does, only if we determine what the cause of the chronic pain is and we eliminate it. So that's kind of basically the what led me to where I am now. Oh, that's fascinating. What's the difference between pain and chronic pain? Well, we all know what pain is. You know, from an early age, we've skinned our knees or stubbed the toe or bonked your head or cut yourself, burned yourself, etc. And so we know that pain hurts a lot. Uh, but we also know from all these experiences then when you have these injuries, you can go to the doctor or you can use a Band-Aid or you can take a pill, but all of those things work, or you can do nothing and the pain goes away. So we know, we learn at an early age from repeated experiences that we heal. Pain comes along, it hurts for a period of time, and then we watch the healing process go away. So pain and chronic pain have a lot in common and several differences. The things they have in common are both of them hurt. There is no distinction between the kind of pain you have in chronic pain or the kind you have in, in regular pain. It can be sharp, dull, migrating, intermittent, throbbing, whatever. The, both chronic pain and pain feel the same. Both pain and chronic pain are caused by inflammation. Inflammation is a series of chemical events that happen in the body that cause heat, swelling, redness, and pain. So when these events take off from an injury or a stressful event, then the inflammation happens, and then the inflammation leads to healing. So both pain and chronic pain, are they feel like pain. Both of them are caused by inflammation. That's where the differences end. After that, chronic pain, in regular pain, the inflammation goes away in a reasonable period of time. You stub your toe, within a few days and weeks, it's gone and you feel fine. Chronic pain doesn't go away or it keeps coming back. The other thing that they don't have in common is that chronic pain, that regular pain responds to conventional care and chronic pain does not. That's by definition. So if you've had a condition, whether your doctor calls it fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic back pain, migraines, irritable bowel syndrome, there's just a, a, a bazillion disorders that the textbooks say we don't really know what causes it and we don't really know what to do about it. That's what chronic pain is. The problem with conventional medicine's approach is that they treat pain and chronic pain exactly the same. If you strain your back at work and you go to the medical doctor, he's going to write you off for three or four weeks and give you some anti-inflammatory pills and some pain pills. You come back in three or four weeks after resting and you're all better. He releases you and you go back to work. If you come back and you're still in pain, what does he do or she do? So they're going to extend your disability, give you three or four more weeks, and continue you on the same pills. If you go to a chiropractor, uh, you're going to get treatment if you strain your back at work. You'll get treatment for, you'll get six, seven, eight treatments maybe of spinal adjustments and physical therapy, and he'll write you off of work for three or four weeks. If, you, if at the end of the treatment you're better, then back you go to work and everything's done. If you don't get better, then the chiropractor is going to do exactly the same thing. They're going to do more treatment and write you off for an extended period of time. So both treatments are exactly the same. The problem is you're not getting better. 
And a lot of times mm-hmm. doctors will tell you that, well, you know, at least you're not getting worse, so we're going to keep doing this. And that's the problem with conventional medicine. You have to solve these cases. And, and so with, if I was doing the regular chiropractic care like I always had been doing, I wasn't going to get anywhere. So the difference Correct. is they, they have to be treated differently, and that's that's what my book is about. When we talk about inflammation, my one of my favorite mottos is you are what you eat. And, and nutrition exactly plays a very big role in inflammation in our bodies. Can Absolutely. you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, you know, what you have to realize, and more and more people are realizing it's true, is that you are what you eat, what you just said. Now, if you look at conventional medicine and, and how they treat an inflammation, inflammatory disorder, they're going to give you an anti-inflammatory substance to swallow, right? Like Aleve or Advil or mm-hmm. aspirin or ibuprofen, an anti-inflammatory pill. So when you have a problem or if you have high blood, high blood pressure, they're going to give you a pill like atenolol or lisinopril or one of those that goes in your body and lowers your blood pressure. So you are affected by what you're putting in your mouth. The problem is what, what conventional medicine doesn't realize that you're putting stuff in your mouth all day long and everything has an effect on you. The food you eat, the food additives that are in the foods, the supplements, the medications, etc. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is it, it, there are some substances that are pro-inflammatory. They're the opposite of taking an Aleve. So if you take an Aleve and it helps with the pain, that's because it's anti-inflammatory. But certain foods and food additives and supplements and medications are pro-inflammatory. So if you and I, Denise, were trying to put out a fire and I was throwing water on the fire and you were throwing gasoline on the fire, we wouldn't get anywhere because the pro-inflammatory gasoline is feeding the inflammation. It's not going to go away. So if you don't believe you're affected by what you put in your mouth, drink a bunch of alcohol and see what happens. You will see that your nervous mm-hmm. system is affected, etc. So everything you consume has an effect. But the connection that hasn't been made with a lot of people is that most, in fact, all of the diseases that you see in the textbooks are affected by what you put in your body. And so it's so important to manage that. The problem is what a lot of people feel, the mentality in this country is that if something is wrong with you, there's got to be something you can add, a pill, a supplement, a potion, (laughs) a salve, a protein shake, etc., that will return you to health. My approach is if you have some kind of health issue, whether it's digestive, musculoskeletal, neurological, whatever, Something is happening to your body, and it, it has to be removed. You have to subtract something. For example, if, if you were a, a lung doctor and somebody came in with a chronic cough and they said, do you have a cough suppressant for me? You could say, sure, but you know, I'm noticing you have a pack of camels in your pocket, and it would be, make much more sense you would stop coughing if you stopped smoking. So it's elimination that is, is the solution to most, most health problems. And like you said, you are what you eat. You've got to look at what you're putting in your body and specifically – The problem with a lot of diets out there is they're very vague and very general, and people are concentrating on on hard-to-understand concepts like omega-3 fatty acids, selenium, uh, antioxidants, uh, doses of of, uh, nutritional supplements, carbohydrates, proteins. I mean, you have to be a chemist also, uh, almost, in order to manage your health. It's not that complicated. And in my approach, I do mention specific chemical substances, but that's what it's about. What I've learned is that Mm -hmm. chronic pain is caused by chronic inflammation caused by specific substances, and it's a matter of figuring out what those are and eliminating them. That's my whole approach. It's a very simple concept. 
our food sources are not what they used to be 50 years ago relative to uh, the mineral content and the vitamin content that's in our food unless it's organically grown. So that's true. How do you how do you manage your patients' um, their, their dietary um, protocols? Well, if they can't you, get access to the organic foods, how, how well, is, is one to manage their recovery? It, it can be difficult. However, I start at the top and work down. You know, a lot of people have health issues that can be very effectively changed by changing their diets. There are many, many, many things wrong with the standard American diet today. You know, there's a lot of genetically modified foods. 90% of the Mm -hmm. corn in our diets is genetically modified. That is, it was changed from nature's intention. You know, corn was designed as a natural uh, nutrient, and uh, Monsanto and other companies have figured out how to change the genetic sequence of corn to make it pest-resistant and also not what nature intended, so it's going to cause problems. But those are the details that bog people down. What I say is, listen, there's a lot of things you cannot control in your diet, but I start at the top, and I'm a macroscopic kind of guy. That is, I don't look at the organic or the, or the, the detail of it. I look at what can we change uh, specifically. And what I tell people is you don't even have to go to the health food store. You don't have to buy organic. Of course, those things are for later down the road when you're fine-tuning your health, when you, when you want you know, uh, even even better health. But the people I see are suffering in intense pain. And it's like, okay, how can we start? We certainly don't start them by sending them to the health food store and saying buy only organic food. I start at the top and work with the specific substances that, are, that they're probably consuming. A lot of people I see are living on fast food, smoking cigarettes and taking lots of medications. You know, the last thing they're going to do is, is be concerned about organic foods and genetically modified foods, etc. They want something mm-hmm. to change within a reasonable period of time that's that's going to make them feel better. And so that's where we start. That you know, I, I look at a lot of people's diets and I see a lot of things they're doing wrong. But in order to get the bang for their buck, they need to get rid of those headaches. They need to get that done ASAP. And so in in headache cases or chronic pain cases, it's very seldom the fact that they're eating inorganic food or or uh uh, genetically modified foods that can happen in some cases, but usually it's something uh, more uh, more easily changed by making specific changes in the diet. So that's where I start. For the you know, we all know that if you if you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, drink a lot of alcohol, live on fast food, you're going to be unhealthy. A lot of people don't do that. Some people do. At the other end of the spectrum, you can eat only organic food, use supplements, purified water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Most people are not willing to to go to that extreme. So you have to find the middle ground where people are say will say, okay, I'm willing to do that. Because like we talked about before the show, Denise, um, my biggest problem is getting compliance. I can usually do an interview with a patient and say, okay, here's the specific changes. There's going to be two or three of them, or maybe only one that you need to make, and your symptoms that you came here uh, to get rid of are going to go away within 90 days. Um, there are lots of other things you're doing wrong. However, let's do these things first and get you better. So that's how I start. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it takes mental and emotional commitment to change your diet. Because it does you indeed. Also, and it also takes a lot more time in food preparation. If you're not picking up takeout food, then that means you have to prepare it on your own. 
So, for instance, a patient comes to you and it's determined that they need to change their diet. What do you recommend they do first off? Are you doing allergy testing or are you changing their food groups? I do it all by uh, by the interview. Now, there are lots of tests that will tell what you're allergic to, what you're sensitive to, et cetera. And um, the, the accuracy of those tests is very, very questionable. They're questionable. There's blood tests, there's skin tests, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I know people who have tests that said they're allergic to, let's say, almonds. However, when they eat almonds, they have no problems. Some of these people have a test that says they don't have any sensitivity to milk, but when they consume milk, they get a migraine. So the accuracy is determined by what's called provocative testing, and that is uh, the only way to accurately tell if you're sensitive to something is to, first of all, if you have symptoms, stop taking it based on my best guesses or an expert's best guesses and see if the symptoms go away. If the symptoms go away in a reasonable period of time, that's usually 7 to 30 days, there will be a significant change in your symptoms. The book is called Chronic Pain Gone 90 Days because some substances, usually medications, take a little bit longer to get out of the system. So within 7 mm-hmm. to 30 days, I'm expecting to see a change if we've, if we've made the right choices and if the patient has complied. So we look for that, and, and that's, that's what we go by. So... My first visit is an examination, range of motion. I check out where they're hurting, uh, what subluxations need to be corrected, and I do a complete diet history. I ask lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. And, of course, since I've been doing it for a long time, I'm looking for specific things. And when I see those specific things, that's what guides me on to, okay, here's what we're going to try, here's what we're going to do. We're going to eliminate one or two or three things. And it's usually only one or two or three things. And if they eliminate those things, they'll see a significant change in their diet. If we get to a point where they want to fine-tune and they have other problems, then we start working on those too. So that's how I approach it. It takes it takes a long time. That's one of the reasons why doctors aren't willing to do this kind of work because, you know, I've had patients come back and tell me, my doctor told me when I come in the room, it has a sign on the wall that says, you're allowed two questions, and that's it. Two questions, two symptoms, and I'm out of here. Well, that's not a way to practice effectively. The problem is with conventional medicine, it's it's about, you know, getting to the next patient and going as fast as you can. Um, it, it's not effective. It's not an effective way to practice. It takes me a long time to question the patient and figure out what they need to change. Then the next hardest part for me is convincing them of what they have to change, having them understand it, and getting them to comply with it without thinking I'm crazy. So it's a, it's a really <laughs> difficult battle. I've been doing it for many, many years, and uh, it, it's difficult, but it's very, very effective if people can comply. On a different um, item that you talk about in your book, chocolate. I don't know too many people that don't love chocolate. And, and even I'm though it is a... <laughs> I'm one of them that and does. Even though even though it is a powerful antioxidant, why do you say that it could be a problem? Um, I'll say this sentence, and this really depresses people when I say it, but I say it several (laughs) times in the book, and it is true. Now, you have to realize that everything I say in the book is not anything I made up or theorized. It's what I see over and over and over and over again in practice for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. So here's the sentence, and if your listeners are ready, here it goes. The most powerful (laughs) Cause of pain in the world is chocolate. That's dark chocolate, white chocolate, milk chocolate, 
artificial chocolate, chocolate flavoring, any form of chocolate. If I ever see a patient come in in severe pain that they didn't do anything, you can bet within 24 hours of the pain they ate chocolate. And that's a real bummer. You know, you can read, people tell me, well, I've read that dark chocolate is good for you. It's an antioxidant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that comes from analyzing the chemical content of food and based on that saying, well, it ought to be good for you because it has these things in it. My observations are macroscopic. They're, they're purely observational. I know this, that when most people who have severe pain quit eating chocolate, the pain goes away. When, when we eliminate the other things that are involved too. And whenever they go back to eating chocolate, their pain returns. I've seen it tens of thousands of times. And that's not true with everybody. But anybody who has chronic pain, it usually Mm -hmm. is a factor. How much chocolate are we talking about? (laughs) That's the other thing. See, when we get to the theory of why this stuff happens, the most common cause of chronic pain is inflammation set off by either allergens or toxins. Those are the two kinds of substances that cause the inflammatory reaction. Allergens, like you've heard of people who are allergic to peanuts. People who are anaphylactic, which means highly sensitive to peanuts, how much does it take? Almost nothing. One peanut will do it because the body recognizes the allergen and reacts. Same thing with chocolate. I've had so many people hold their fingers up and go, but I only had this much. And, but that's <laughs> the, the, aller, the allergic reaction is so powerful, that's what will happen. I, you know, I said, did, did you, have you taken a pill for it like a Vicodin? They said, yeah, does it help? Yes. How big is that Vicodin? It's a very small little pill, right? But it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Same thing with chocolate. The, the reaction to chocolate is an allergic reaction. It's very often neurological, although it can be skin like acne and psoriasis and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it only takes a little bit if you have the sensitivity. So chocolate is one of, it's not the most common cause of chronic pain, but it's the most powerful cause of chronic pain. And since I gave that introduction, you know, I'm sure your listeners are wanting to know what is the most common cause of chronic pain. The most common pro-inflammatory substance is a specific protein. Again, I don't want your listeners to be chemists, but I'll tell you why I'm telling you the name of the chemical, and it's called casein, okay. C-A-S-E-I-N. It's the main protein found in cow's milk, all animal milk as a matter of fact, and everything made from animal milk, which is cheese, yogurt, ice cream, cottage cheese, ranch dressing, blue cheese, all the dairy foods. Dairy foods, in fact, the first book I wrote was called No Milk because the most common cause of fibromyalgia, migraine headaches, chronic back pain, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, psoriasis, eczema, and I could go on for minutes, uh, Mm -hmm. is casein. And so that's an allergic reaction. And the solution is not to cut back on your consumption of milk and dairy foods. It's to completely eliminate the protein casein. And the reason I say casein is because casein is in all milk and dairy foods except for one, and that's butter. Butter is only made from milk fat, which has no protein in it. So people who are sensitive to dairy foods can eat butter and it won't bother them. The other reason I say the word casein is there are a lot of products on the market that are called non-dairy Uh, like non-dairy coffee creamers, like the real popular ones like hazelnut, French vanilla, and Irish cream, etc., Cremora, Coffee Mate. All of those, the second and third ingredient, second or third ingredient is sodium caseinate, C-A-S-E-I-N-A-T-E on the end. Casein, again, is the pro-inflammatory substance that causes most fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic back pain, etc. So in order to eliminate most cases of chronic pain, that has to be completely eliminated. All dairy foods uh, except butter 
and uh, all non-dairy foods that contain caseinate. Uh, the other thing about the connection between dairy foods and chocolate, and I don't know what the connection is chemically, but I'll tell you this. Every patient who reacts to casein milk, in milk and dairy foods with some kind of chronic inflammation also reacts to chocolate, only their reaction is worse, every single one of them. So I put those two in a group, dairy foods and chocolate, cause more than half of all of the cases of fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, etc. It's a grandiose statement, but it's true. So many patients who come in who have, let's say, chronic low back pain or migraines, and we eliminate milk and dairy foods and chocolate, and they continue to eat genetically modified foods, uh, go out for fast foods, etc. As long as they stay away from casein and cheese and milk and all of that, they recover and they feel better. Of course, they can have another big improvement in their health if they also eliminate lots of other things down the road. But that's how we start. Most cases are that. But there are other substances, too, that can cause chronic pain, and we go right on down the list and look for all of them. So what's the percentage, say, out of 50 patients? What's the percentage of those that are allergic to casein? Um, Between, I would say, 75 to 80%. That's very high. That's very high. Right, that's what I've seen in practice. The the hard part to keep track of the exact number is compliance. A lot of people find it difficult to change their diets or can't do it or lie to me or whatever, but the people who who stay 100% off of it, it's between 75, 80, 90%. It's it's a high number. So, it is very very significant. That's why I'm on a soapbox all the time because it's true. And it's just these simple changes, you know, and and you've Mm -hmm. never heard this from your doctors. If I came and told you the same thing your doctor was telling you, you would still have chronic pain. You have to hear something different. You have to try something different than Vicodin and and, uh, acupuncture and chiropractic and, and all of those different things that aren't working for you. You know, all of those things that I just said that conventional medicine has, they work for many, many cases. So all of the people who had back surgery and now are better, had a hip replacement and now are better, or took some Vicodin for a period of time and now are better, got chiropractic care, acupuncture, etc., and recovered, I'm not talking to you. you. You people all responded to conventional medicine or alternative medicine, and now you're better. Now, that all, all that group of you that did not respond to that, I'm talking to you. And that's a big group of people. Mm-hmm. According to the Huffington Post, it's 47% of the American population. So those are the people I'm talking to. All of the conventional techniques work. But there's always left over this crowd of people that it didn't work for them. They have to hear what I'm saying today. It almost seems like it's a genetic mutation. (laughs) I I think most everything is genetic because we all know people. I have a patient. He's 95 years old. He's been smoking and chewing since he was 12. And he has very few health problems. He has a minor backache once in a while. So Mm -hmm. why is that? He got good genes. You know, and and Mm -hmm. so... What I believe is inherited is the sensitivity. A lot of people eat milk and dairy foods and don't have problems. A lot of people eat fast food and don't have problems. But there are some people who do, and I believe what's happened is they've inherited the sensitivity to the dairy foods or to gluten, which is another one, Mm -hmm. or to whatever these substances are. So I think everything is genetic, you know, whether you're left-handed or right-handed, whether you're outgoing, whether you have a tendency for cancer or heart disease. I think, you know, I tell people the most powerful effect on your health is your diet. And then I go, wait a second, I take that back. That's the second most powerful effect. The first is your genes, your genetics. So the mm-hmm. good parents, and then after that, you better watch what you eat. <laughs> uh, even if the casein 
doesn't um, promote any um, ill effects for these individuals, doesn't it still create inflammation in their body? Yes, it, it, it yes it can if they have the sensitivity, and that's one of the problems. If people have, okay. for example, one of the one of the go, skipping over to casein because to another subject which is MSG, monosodium mm-hmm. glutamate is a chemical flavor enhancer. That's, that's, that's the one. third most yeah. common cause of chronic pain. Um, a lot of people have a sensitivity to it, such that they get panic attacks, heart palpitations, they break out in hives, their hands swell, they get migraines, or they get neck and back pain. Uh, 75% of the time, that neck and back pain is on the left side of the body. If they determine that they have that sensitivity through help like somebody like me or they just figure it out on their own, they, that's mm-hmm. very good. They know to avoid MSG. But many people don't have a noticeable reaction. It still is a nerve toxin that if it's continually consumed, eventually the effects will become noticeable. And those long-term effects that happen in later years are to the neurological system, and that can be Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, etc. So if you have immediate reactions to substances and you can figure it out, that's great that you eliminate it. If it's just causing a chronic elevated level of inflammation in your body, which isn't showing you any symptoms, eventually it's going to wear something out. So it's best to you know, cover your bases. And, and, uh, and a lot of people have symptoms that they don't really think are symptoms. They're tired all the time. They're grouchy. Uh, their skin is uh, uh, pale and sticky. They have body odor. They have bad breath. A lot of people think those are just things you have. All of those things and everything about the human condition is affected by what you put in your body. My approach is let's make specific changes so that you can get rid of those symptoms that are causing you pain or discomfort or, you know, getting in the way of your life. In the book, uh, you know, if somebody has headaches and we take away milk and dairy and chocolate and their headaches go away, that's very subjective. You know, a lot of people say, well, they're imagining it or whatever. But I have some pictures in the book of a, of a chronic inflammatory skin condition called psoriasis. Uh, the patient came in because of his migraines and his knee pain, and I noticed his psoriasis. We took him off of milk and dairy foods, and I just happened to start taking pictures of his psoriasis, and guess what? Within 90 days, his psoriasis was gone. To this day, we found out that, sure enough, if he slips back and consumes a dairy food, he'll have a psoriatic lesion breakout on his elbow. So... Yeah. Uh, it, it, we've found out that yes, indeed, and I've seen many, many cases of that. I wish I could talk to Phil Mickelson. You know, he, he advertises Enbril on TV. Enbril is a very powerful immune suppressor. So, you know, they know that psoriasis is a, is a reaction of the immune system. They don't know what sets it off. So instead of trying to find out what sets it off and eliminating it, they give a powerful immune suppressor. It suppresses the whole immune system, so you're susceptible to infection and all kinds of problems. So... Uh, anyways, it's usually an allergic reaction to something, and if you figure it out, then you can solve the problem. I'm wondering how long MSG has been in our food source. Since 1948. 1948. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's uh, There was a book written uh, when I first started seeing MSG back in the 80s. Um, there's a book uh, written by a, a medical doctor named George Schwartz, and he talks about the history of his book is called In Bad Taste, the MSG Syndrome. And um, in this country, we didn't use uh, MSG until 1948. And what happened is the Japanese discovered it back in about 1909. Uh, a chemist, a Japanese chemist, 
noticed that when seaweed was added to food, it made it taste a lot better. So he decided to do a chemical analysis and find out what it was in seaweed that made the food taste better, and it was monosodium glutamate. They figured out a way to manufacture it, and they started manufacturing it, putting it in all their food. In 1948, mm. they came to this country and were able to sell uh, the American food manufacturers on its effectiveness, uh, mainly in eliminating the, the taste of a tin can. So they started putting it in lots of soups. To this day, all canned soup contains MSG. Top ramen, cup of soup, cup of noodle, TV dinners, those all contain very high doses of MSG. So it started in 1948. In fact, back then, uh, my mom and, and, and people of that generation got turned on to a spice called Accent. You may have seen Accent in the stores. It's in a red and white mm -hmm. container. It makes mm -hmm. everything taste good. Now, I always teach, teach patients to look at the ingredients that are on uh, a processed food, and you'll see the word ingredients, and you'll see lots of chemical names behind them. On Accent, it says ingredient. There's only one ingredient. That stuff is pure monosodium glutamate. You can even oh, buy MSG in the stores now. It's called MSG. It's a nerve toxin. So in 1948 and in the early 50s when I was raised, moms were figuring out that, hey, this stuff tastes really good. And a lot of kids had problems like I don't didn't know until later looking back that I had a lot of nightmares. Uh, that's one of the most common reactions to monosodium glutamate. So it's been around oh, for a while. And genetically modified foods have been around for about the same amount of time. Now, how does osteoporosis factor into all of your uh That's the most uh, common protocols. question I get asked uh, by women especially because women in this country fear osteoporosis, right? If you get older, uh, we have a lot of women in this country who, who um, their bones get brittle, they fall down and break. So mm -hmm. doctors have been addressing that for many years, for 50 or 60 years, by saying, here's what you do. You've got to take in lots of calcium. So women in this country should consume lots of dairy foods, lots of calcium. They should exercise regularly, and they should control their weight. So over all these years, Americans consume more dairy foods than any other country in the world by far. Americans consume more supplemented calcium than any other country in the world by far. Guess which country has the highest incidence of osteoporosis in the world by far. We do. We have, Despite the fact that we consume all this calcium and all these dairy foods, we have a high uh, incidence of osteoporosis in this country. Now, the flip side of the proof is China. In China, the disease is basically non-existent. There's no osteoporosis there. Have you ever eaten in a Chinese restaurant? You ever see any dairy foods in there? They don't consume dairy foods. There's no cheese on any of their food. They don't consume milk, yet they have stronger bones. There's other reasons for that, which basically has to do with the amount of protein they, they consume in their diets. But the whole notion that you need to supplement calcium and eat dairy foods is not true. It has more to do with the amount of protein we consume. And a lot of people are consumed about getting, uh, concerned about it getting enough protein. Many Americans get too much protein, and that's in dairy foods, eggs, and meats, which are big pillars of the standard American diet. So an American meal, you have you know a chunk of meat on your plate, a uh, salad, and some rice maybe, and that's for each person. In a Chinese meal, you take that chunk of meat, you chop it all up into small little bitty pieces, you mix it with rice and vegetables, and you feed seven or eight people. So their protein consumption is a lot less. That's one of the reasons why they have stronger bones. There's lots of other reasons too, but the, the whole notion that you need to consume a lot of milk to have strong bones is not true. So that's another part of the uphill battle 
you know, because then people, women will go to their, their doctors and they'll say, you know, the guy's out of his mind. You need lots of milk. We've known that for many years. It's like one of those things that if you say it long enough, everybody believes it. So that's where we're at with that. But if you, you can eat a vegetarian diet and uh, have plenty strong bones. When your consumption of protein is high, that creates an acidic environment and thus the, the breakdown, which then causes a lot of disease, correct? Right. Yes, in fact, there's a, a, several authors who have written about, in fact, the first chiropractor I worked with at the sports clinic, he, um, he was into uh, the pH level, and that's affected by, uh, his whole theory was that if you take two identical athletes and they train in, in the identical way, the one with the lower pH, which is the more acidic condition, will have more aches and pains than the one with the higher pH, which is less acidic. And I think that's mm-hmm. true. So, again, a high-protein diet. And, and the sad thing is so many young people I see who are lifting weights, bodybuilding, which is fine to do, mm-hmm. they're supplementing a protein shake because they they imagine, I think, that, and they've been told that if you consume a lot of protein, it'll magically go into your body and turn into muscle. That doesn't happen. You know, it has a lot of other effects. And everything we consume, our body breaks down into a carbon skeleton, and we build whatever we need. If you're working out a lot with weights, your body will take a vegetarian diet and turn it into muscle. So a right. high-protein diet is really, just like you said, it's acidic, and it's not a health-promoting diet. It's a weight loss diet, that's for sure. You know, Atkins found that out. Mm -hmm. Plus, in your book, you talk about protein powders, don't you, and the ingredients in them? Yes, they're they're chemical concoctions uh, that, you you know, we're designed to run on whole natural foods. You know, you want to take whole natural foods like apples and pears and and bell peppers and tomatoes and all of those foods and consume them whole. If you pulverize them, by putting them in a blender and juicing and doing all those kinds of things, you destroy a lot of the fiber and you change the mechanics of, of the, the, the healthiness of the food. Uh, protein powders, they all have a list of ingredients, and it's a big list. And one of the things I point out when we go back to talking about MSG, usually the second or third ingredient, which means it's in high concentration. You know, I don't know if your listeners know, but when you see an ingredients list, the first uh, substance is the highest concentration in it, second place, third place, all the right. way down like that. Uh, anyways, right. about the second ingredient is called protein isolate in almost every protein powder. And that is a form of free glutamate, which is monosodium glutamate, a nerve toxin. So and and the other thing is, guess which flavor most people chick tr- uh, choose for their protein shakes? They choose chocolate, chocolate. and and there is the most <laughs> powerful cause of pain. So protein shakes, I tell people that they're they're not good for you, they're bad for you. You shouldn't even consume them at all. Yeah, I should try juicing, you know, with vegetables. Although a lot of people can't tolerate the taste. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think that people, there are so many food choices that do taste good. You know, me and my wife, we eat really, really, really healthy. We have our own garden, and she has learned so much with walking, watching all the cooking channels over the years that she could make mm-hmm. just absolutely delicious dishes that taste really, really great, and there's absolutely nothing unhealthy about them at all. So with the use of spices and the combinations of different vegetables, uh, mm-hmm. you can eat really, really healthy. Some people, if you have to juice it in order to get it down, then um, go ahead and do it. But uh, uh, there's a, another researcher, um, 
who's been around about as long as I have, named John McDougall. He's a medical doctor. He talked about the fact that uh, sugar foods like fruits, if if they're pulverized, they lose their fiber content and they're, they become almost like a very, very simple carbohydrate, and they raise the blood sugar really fast. If you leave them in their form with the fiber, like an orange or an apple or any of a, mm-hmm. a banana, then it raises the sugar much less slowly. Right. Hmm. Have you found other doctors and research, researchers in agreement with you on your... Yes, um, there, there are few and far between, okay. but there's a lot of information out there. As a matter of fact, the very first book that was written about this kind of information was 1943 uh, by Herbert Rinkel and Theron Randolph, medical doctors. They wrote a book called Food Allergies. It wasn't very popular, but they said all the same things. More and more people, in fact, in my book, at the end of the book, I I reference several people to read, like John McDougall and uh, uh, um, some of their names skip my brain right now, as happens to me, but... Uh, there's a lot of research out there that yes is showing the same thing. There's a there's a, a friend of mine that I interviewed uh, several times and and uh, he wrote a book called he's got guts. He wrote a book called Milk the Deadly Poison, and um, his name is Robert Cohen and he has a a, a web page called the Not Milk Man, uh, and <laughs> and many people have written about MSG. There's a really good book although it's very scientific. It's written by Russell Blaylock who's a neurologist. He wrote a book called. Uh, um, excitotoxins the taste that kills it's about msg Mm -hmm. and aspartame so there's a Mm -hmm. lot of information out there the problem is we're fighting against manufacturers who want you to buy their foods uh, despite the unhealthiness of them so there's a lot of problems with labeling laws and all kinds of things so anyways it's an uphill battle but uh, if people would just make specific changes in their diet they would uh, they would find out that these things are true So overall, what's your success rate with your patients? Uh, very successful. We get uh, 85 to 90 percent. A lot of times what happens is we we pick uh, a couple of things. Like I'll start off and say, okay, all I want you to eliminate is dairy foods and chocolate, and let's do some mm-hmm. treatment and let's find out what happens. Sometimes we find that we have to go further down the list. We find out that they're getting exposure to MSG. See, every visit they come in, we examine them, treat them, and ask them tons of questions about what they're eating, what they're consuming. Like, for example, a patient came in today who hadn't been in for about six years, and he came back, and we talked about the dairy foods and the chocolate, which he had slipped back onto, but it looked like he was having a problem with MSG. And sure enough, after his first treatment, he had two days where he felt really good, and today he came in and said he woke up this morning feeling really bad. His wife had made soup last night with uh, using a bouillon cube. Uh, bouillon is the cube you put in soup, and it's it's basically two ingredients in there, salt and MSG. So mm-hmm. we had to, you know, as we go along, we find out, oh, look, you're reacting to this. We're going to have to add that to your list. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, a, a trial and error thing as we go along. Since I've been doing it so long, I usually make the best guesses right up uh, front. And then we have to determine, is this a disciplined patient or is this going to be a difficult patient? And so sometimes I'll make trades with them. You know, I can't get them to eliminate certain things, but I try to get them to do as much as I can. So if if a patient will work with me and we spend enough time, most every patient mm-hmm. will get better. I have a handful of patients that I don't know what the heck's wrong with them, but that's very rare. Most of them we can figure out 
And the list is this, if, if, uh, uh, to, to get a recap of, of the basic list. Casein is the most common cause of pain. That's in milk and dairy foods. That includes chocolate, the most powerful cause of pain. The next substance on the list is monosodium glutamate, which goes by lots and lots and lots of different names. Manufacturers are constantly trying to figure out how to hide it on the labels. So that's the third one. Aspartame is next, which is NutraSweet, which is in uh, all diets, most diet sodas and all chewing gum. Uh, lots of diet foods, TV dinners. After that is gluten. Gluten has become real popular right now, uh, Mm -hmm. although it's not nearly as common. I'm talking 10 to 15% of people with chronic pain, gluten is a factor. Dairy foods, it's up around 85, 75, 95%. So gluten is the next one on the list, and that's in wheat products, wheat flour. That's bread, pasta, cakes, cookies, crackers, all those kinds of things. Then after that, the next group is a huge group, and that's medication. All medication causes side effects, and if you don't believe me, watch primetime TV and listen to almost every commercial that's on, which is usually for drugs. You know, the first 10 seconds, they tell you how wonderful the drug is. The last 50 seconds, they tell you all the horror that could happen to you with those drugs. Uh, By far, the biggest drug problem I see is with the cholesterol pills, and that's uh, Simvastatin is the most common now, Zocor, Lipitor, Provacol, Mevacor, Zetia, Gemfibrazil. I've had to become a chemist to keep up with all the concoctions that are coming out now. But many, many, many mm-hmm. people are suffering from the effects of this, these overused drugs for cholesterol. The main symptoms are leg weakness, leg pain, foot pain, lower back pain, aches and pains all over the body. It's, uh, they're terrible drugs, and doctors are trying to convince patients that everybody needs them or you're going to fall over and die of a heart attack, and that's just not true. So that's the basic list right there. And if you took all patients who suffer with chronic pain off of all of those things I just listed, almost all of them would recover. Uh, and some of and many of them would only have to do a very small portion of the list. So that's what the book is about. And, and then I have a chapter. Uh, I do the ten chapters in the beginning about what are the things you need to do to get rid of chronic pain. And then after that, I say mm-hmm. the good news. And the good news is that if you're sensitive to let's say dairy foods and you stay off of them for 90 days and your symptoms go away, your fibromyalgia or your back pain or your migraines goes away, uh, most people find that if on occasion after that they have a piece of pizza or have some dairy foods, they get away with it. If they get back mm-hmm. into regular use again, though, they're likely to get symptoms again. So, you know, if you want to get rid of pain in chronic, I mean, chronic pain in 90 days, which the book is called Chronic Pain Gone 90 Days, then you eliminate all of these things, the blanket approach, and you see what happens. And within 90 days, usually your symptoms will be gone. And then after that, you'll find out what you're sensitive to, how much you can tolerate, etc. But, you know, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. If everybody would just look where I'm looking, then mm-hmm. they will see what they're, what they're affected by. And, and that's where conventional medicine is failing. They, you know, how many times have you been to a medical doctor and they asked you what you eat? Almost never. They might say, watch what you eat. And I always ask, mm-hmm. what does that mean? You know, watch what you eat. So it's very specific, and and that's what my approach is. It's called Chronic Pain Gone 90 Days, and uh, you can get the book on Amazon or or, uh, uh, Barnes & Noble or any place like that. So um, if people would read the book, they would understand this very, very simple concept, and they'd be able to take control of their symptoms. You know, we all probably know someone who suffers from some form of autoimmune disease. And I know that in your book you talk about multiple sclerosis, which is a very serious illness. 
it's a very serious illness. It involves uh, your nervous system, uh, the, the sheath around your nerves becoming hardened, uh, sclerotic, they call them, since the name, hence the name uh, multiple sclerosis, sclerosing of the nervous system. And then it affects the conduction of the nerves. And so you get all kinds of problems, you know, coordination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And many of us believe that the symptoms are, uh, it's a neurological breakdown caused by an allergen or a toxin. And many writers have written about gluten being a cause of multiple sclerosis, but dairy can do it, chocolate can do it, uh, and it's a matter of... The, the problem is most people, when they start showing symptoms, that's when they start seek, seeking help. And when those sclerotic lesions have formed, you usually can't reverse them, and so they're going to be there. But you can stop them from forming if you avoid the allergen or toxins that are causing the problem. Uh, well, I have a chapter in my book called Autoimmune Diseases Are Not. What autoimmune diseases are, like psoriasis, uh, like uh, uh, scleroderma, uh, lots of disorders like that, rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, they're in chronic inflammatory diseases. And what the textbooks say is they're, autoimmune means your immune system is reacting against itself. And I don't believe that's true. Your immune system is reacting against an invader, an allergen, and it's a matter of figuring out what it is. The problem is it's usually in the diet, and that's the one place conventional medics don't look. So if you find out, because I've seen many, many cases of rheumatoid arthritis that are reversed by finding out it's either dairy foods or it's gluten or it's MSG or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So the reaction of the autoimmune disease is not to the self. It's to whatever substance is causing the reaction. So it's a matter of figuring that out. And it's a shame because a lot of doctors will tell you, well, it's autoimmune. There's nothing you can do except for take immune suppressors like prednisone or Enbrel or one of those kind of things, which are very, very damaging drugs. It's a real mm -hmm. shame. It is. Well, listeners, we've run out of time. We've had a great show today. I want to thank Dr. Toogood for being our guest, and now we're so much more informed about how to manage chronic pain. To our listeners, please be sure to join us next week, same time, same place. Thank you, Dr. Tugood. Hey, thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer Now What? Dot com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? <laughs>